Welcome everyone to this week's ICEJ webinar. We're so glad to be coming to you from uh, Jerusalem, the headquarters of the International Christian Embassy, and thanks to everyone who's joining us uh, live on the, on the Zoom webinar, on Facebook, on YouTube. Welcome and good day, good afternoon, good morning, wherever you are. And we've got an exciting show today talking about the new Israeli government that after four elections in two and a half years, uh, this looks like another attempt to try and form a stable government, but it, it uh, was approved on Sunday by the Knesset by the narrowest of votes, 60 to 59. We're going to talk about the makeup. Uh, a little about the policies of it with our good friend, Gil Hoffman, the chief political correspondent for the Jerusalem Post. So it's going to be an exciting show. And I first want to start out, uh, before we bring on Gil, I'm going to uh, try and give a quick PowerPoint presentation to show you who are the main players here, who's in the government, who's outside. Uh, so you can have a, a little familiarity as uh, when Gil starts talking about uh, some of these some of these folks who are now inside the government or have joined Benjamin Netanyahu for the first time in 12 years, no longer prime minister, but part of the opposition. So here, let's uh, go to this PowerPoint and. on the new Israeli government. This is uh, Benjamin Netanyahu uh, very briefly shaking hands with Naftali Bennett of the Amina party. Uh, Naftali Bennett used to be uh, like his chief of staff was uh, within the Likud camp, uh, uh, an aide to Netanyahu, but now he leads uh, another a fellow right-wing party but has joined a whole broad coalition of uh, different parties, eight parties in all, to form a new government. And after the vote on Sunday, there was a, a short, brief handshake, and then Netanyahu went out and said he's going to try and topple this new government as quick as he can. Uh, the new uh, parties that are in it are eight parties from left to right, Bennett and uh, Gideon Sa'ar here in the middle, uh, on the top line there uh, from the right, along with Avigdor Lieberman of Israel, Batenu, Gideon Sa'ar of New Hope, used to be in Likud, took several uh, of them away, got some other uh, MKs. He has six seats. Uh, Bennett has six now in Yamina. He had seven, but one of his uh, guys uh, resigned or dropped out because he didn't want to be part of this new coalition government. Yair Lapid of Yeshatid, 17 seats. Uh, and, and um, this is uh, uh, Nitzan Horowitz of Merits, far left, six seats. Benny Gantz, blue and white, former IDF chief of staff, uh, considered centrist, eight seats. Mansour Abbas, this is quite interesting, of uh, an Islamist party. Ra'am used to be part of the Arab joint list. He broke away this election trying to be pragmatic to finally be part of a government as government ministers. This is breaking a taboo in Israel for both the uh, you know, uh, Israeli governments in the past and even the Arab community. Uh, and he has four seats, but they, he, they are the ones who put this government over the top with 61 seats. And then Marav uh, Michaeli, uh, she's the chairwoman of labor. 
Uh, and what's interesting, most of these folks are still young relatively in the 40s and 50s. Uh, and it's like a, a young guard coming in. Uh, you look at uh, Yair Lapid, Mirab um, Mikhaeli, uh, and Horowitz of Merits. These guys had TV shows uh, of their own. Gideon Sa'ar is married to a, uh, the anchor, uh, say a very popular anchor of one of the main news channels in Israel. And so they're from a new generation. They're media savvy themselves. Uh, Bennett was a, uh, an elite uh, commander of uh, elite uh, commando units. And then uh, high tech, uh, he had two companies that uh, sold for several hundred million dollars. So, you know, he made a lot of money on that. He's considered a risk taker and somehow uh, we'll get Gil to explain how he has managed up with only six seats to be the new prime minister when someone like Lapid has 17 seats and uh, is, he's an alternate prime minister and uh, the foreign minister now. And the opposition led by Benjamin Netanyahu and Likud has 30 seats, but it was really this uh, Itamar Ben-Gavir and Bezalel Smotrich uh, who on the far right who did not want to sit with the Ra'am party and a coalition government with Netanyahu. And Bennett finally joined Ra'am and all these uh, right, center, and left parties in this government. Uh, and, and these guys are now sitting in the opposition. Uh, here's Ahmad Oday of the Arab Joint List. Uh, part of that list includes Ahmed Tibi. And then the two ultra-religious parties, R.A. Darif Shahs, Moshe Gaffney, of United Torah Judaism. It was quite interesting. And in, in the vote on Sunday, it was so close that uh, um, uh, Ben Gavir had a car accident, a serious car accident up in the Galilee somewhere. And he, you know, should have gone to the hospital, but he rushed down to the Knesset. And so he could vote against the new government. Um, and this Ahmed Tibi, even though he wasn't part of the government, and even though he's been very, you know, pro-Palestinian rights, pro-Palestinian statehood, he actually was staying outside the Knesset chamber and uh, ready to abstain to allow the government to pass if needed. But once they reached enough votes where they knew the new government would pass, he came in and voted against, negative, he said. Yeah, and, uh, and so the government passed and he was ready to and willing to help work, uh, you know, with it so it would pass, even though he's in the opposition. Quite interesting. And uh, finally, I want to mention this vote was so close. We had uh, Green Al-Hayar from Yeshatid, who has muscular dystrophy. Uh, you know, we really have to uh, commend this woman for going into public service and she needs periodic treatments. And she was actually laying on a gurney on a stretcher on the floor of the Knesset while the vote was going on, receiving some needed uh, medical treatment so that she could be there to vote. And I think Gil can fill us in, but this is the status of the government. The Knesset, they, they work basically Sunday through Wednesday. And on certain days, like Tuesday, Wednesday, they have most of their votes. And from now on, for this government to stay in place, everyone has to show up or they could sneak in a no confidence vote and topple it if not enough people are showing up. And before we finish this, we also have to point out uh, Shirley Pinto of Yamina, 
because one of the Yamina MKs became a minister in the new government. Um, they resigned their seat in the Knesset, allowed someone uh, down the list to come in, and she's the first deaf uh, Israeli uh, Knesset member, and she was sworn in using sign language. It's quite interesting and quite a, a, a nice moment for the Israeli parliament. So now we want to uh, have our guest, Gil Hoffman, Chief Political Correspondent for the Jerusalem Post. Welcome, Gil. I, I get the question all the time, whether you're related to Dustin Hoffman, any relation? I don't think so. You don't think no. so? What are, you're from Chicago, what about Abby Hoffman? <laughs> I'm also not. Okay. All right, just trying to get a little humor in here because I know you have a very humorous side when you present Israeli politics. Please uh, give us a nice briefing on what's just happened. How stable is this government policies? Uh, is the opposition going to bring it down soon? Tell us. Thank you so much, David. And David is related to that guy in the, in the song Let It Snow, Parson Brown. Um, That's right. <laughs> so uh, it, it is wonderful being with the, the 58 of you from around the world. I really appreciate you coming together, uh, that you care so much about what's going on here in the Holy Land, and uh, that you're educating yourselves the best way possible through the International Fellowship of Christians and Jews and my good friend okay. David Parsons. So um, I'm going to take you back in history. And uh, when someone here in the Holy Land says they're going to take you back in history, they usually mean 3,000 years minimum. Um, but I'm going to take you all the way back to August of 2012. In uh, August of 2012, nine years ago, uh, I was covering a debate for leader of uh, one of the parties that was called by you, the uh, Jewish Home. And uh, there were three candidates, two of them old and washed up, and one of them young and energized. Um, the old people, nobody remembers them, were named Hershkowitz and Orlev. The young guy was named Naftali Bennett. And uh, he had uh, just entered politics. He decided to run for the leadership of this party. Um, and uh, after this debate where Naftali Bennett cleaned up, um, he hung out afterward with me for about an hour outside where the debate was held at the Jerusalem College of Technology. And I talked to him there uh, just on the bench for an hour in the cool Jerusalem air in August. It's hot during the day and nice and cool at night here in Jerusalem. Um, and uh, mostly he was asking, uh, mostly I was asking him questions, uh, but in the end, uh, he asked me one question. He asked me about Yair Lapid, um, who had just entered politics himself. He was a um, journalist, just like me, uh, but better looking. He was an anchor man, and he decided uh, that he would follow in the footsteps of his father, who had also gone from being a journalist to being a politician. So he formed a party uh, called Yeshatid, There's a Future. And uh, he just had started meeting people all over the country in order to run. And so Naftali Bennett says to me, 
what kind of guy is Yair Lapid? Have you met him? Have you gotten to know him? And I told him, yeah. I sat with him in, a, in his house for about three hours. He's got this room uh, that's a kind of a man cave full of sports memorabilia, boxing gloves. He worships Muhammad Ali. And uh, after I told him about Lapid, Naftali Bennett says to me, can I have his phone number? And uh, so I gave him the phone number. And uh, sure enough, a few months later, they made a, a political alliance that forced Netanyahu to take both of their parties into the government and keep out the ultra-Orthodox, which is pretty rare here that the ultra-Orthodox aren't part of the government because they don't interfere on matters of uh, diplomacy and security and economy. They let prime ministers take care of that. And in return, the prime ministers let them deal with matters of religion and state. It ends up being a good deal for whoever's in power. Um, and uh, the, so that political bond that the, they called each other's, uh, they called each other brothers, um, ended up being a harbinger for the current government being formed. Um, they both have had their ups and downs with Netanyahu and ended up being in a place where they could get rid of him. Um, a lot of politicians wanted to get rid of Netanyahu. That had been the reason for our political deadlock. Here we have our 120 members of Knesset. And uh, we had four elections. And in these uh, four elections, we kept on uh, proving Einstein's theory of insanity of doing the same thing over and over and over and over again and expecting a different result. And it wasn't working because you had 61 out of the 120 who believed in Netanyahu's policies, but you had 61 out of the 120 who wanted Netanyahu to go for plenty of reasons, um, for uh, his hedonism, hubris, for being in power for too long, um, for advancing his trial at the expense of the country. Uh, he's on trial for corruption charges. Um, and so too many people wanted him to go. Um, and so there was no way of getting 61 to agree on the same prime minister and the same policy. So he kept on doing it and doing it and doing it until this election, there were different strategies involved. Um, Naftali Bennett decided that he would take advantage of him holding the balance of power. He knew the two most likely people to form a government were Netanyahu and Yair Lapid. They would be the leader of the two largest parties. But he knew that uh, he could command a rotation as prime minister. And that if he played his cards right, he could even demand a rotation where he would go first. Uh, he actually would have preferred that Netanyahu rotate with him, but he couldn't trust Netanyahu. Because Netanyahu, after the last election, he made a deal with Benny Gantz, and he didn't keep his deal. So uh, Lapid played it smart and was respectful of Netanyahu, of, of, uh, of Naftali Bennett. He offered him a rotation uh, where he would go first that he couldn't say no to. So even though Lapid had 17 seats and Bennett had really only six seats, um, because he held that balance of power and because during the entire election, he never expressed a preference for one side or the other. He played this game of neutrality. He used that to his advantage. Now, Lapid was also being a strategist. He knew he couldn't be elected on his own, in part because he was seen as secularist or maybe too left-wing or, or too shallow a politician. He knew that if he would make a bond 
with Bennett that he could get to be prime minister in the second half of a rotation. Um, both of them are very smart strategists. George Birnbaum is the strategist for uh, Naftali Bennett. Uh, he's the protege of Arthur Finkelstein, uh, worked all around the world. Uh, Mark Melman is the strategist for Lapid, brilliant guy. Um, and uh, he decided that self-sacrifice was the key to coming to power and also diversity. Eight parties have joined this government. We've got right wing, left wing, and center together. And as David said, you also have a um, Arab party, an Islamist Arab party in the coalition for the first time. Um, this Islamist Arab party, Ra'am, led by Mansour Abbas, was influenced by who has changed Israeli politics forever? The answer is Donald Trump. Donald Trump um, led the Abraham Accords. The Abraham Accords um, were based on an understanding in the Arab and Muslim world that it's no longer necessary to wait for the Israeli-Palestinian conflict to be solved. For too long, Arab countries were saying, okay, economically, it makes sense for us to establish diplomatic relations with Israel. Uh, we want to, we don't have anything against the people of Israel, but this Israeli-Palestinian conflict, it's there, it needs to be solved first. And uh, Jared Kushner persuaded the Crown Prince of Saudi Arabia that they don't have to wait anymore. The Crown Prince of Saudi Arabia, Crown Prince Mohammed, he said to Mahmoud Abbas, let's not get confused, Mahmoud Abbas, the leader of the Palestinians, we are sick and tired of waiting for you to make the sacrifices necessary to help your own people. Our people in Saudi Arabia are suffering because we don't have official relations with the most powerful economy in the region and the country that's closest to Israel, to the United States, which is Israel. And now the Crown Prince of Saudi Arabia happens to not be the leader of Saudi Arabia. Um, so he couldn't do it himself. There's still a king. The king is not well, but there's still a king. Um, but his allies, uh, the United Arab Emirates and Bahrain, their, their emirs could make peace with Israel. And so they went and they did it. And then Mansour Abbas, the leader of this Ra'am party in Israel, said, wait a second, why are they doing this and not me? Israeli Arab citizens of Israel have suffered because the leaders of every Arab party since the country was founded 73 years ago said, we can't join an Israeli government until we solve the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Uh, now, what does it mean to not join an Israeli government? Lots of you come from countries where there are parliamentary systems. Only the ruling parties, the parties that are part of the governing coalition, it's harder for the people in American politics to understand this, um, that's where they divide up the spoils among their constituents. Those who are not part of the governing coalition get nothing. The ultra-Orthodox, when they weren't part of that government, when you had that brotherly bond between Lapid and Bennett, they got nothing. It's not racist that Arab towns in Israel look worse than Jewish towns do. 
It's bad politics. And Mansour Abbas said, you know what? I don't have to wait anymore either. If Bahrain doesn't have to wait, if Dubai doesn't have to wait, why do the people of Nazareth and Taipei have to wait? Um, and so uh, he did it. Uh, he decided he would join any Israeli government, right, left, center, whatever he preferred, right, to make a point. And because as a uh, religious party, he had in common with the religious party uh, being uh, for uh, um, religious religious things uh, that I won't get into in uh, such an audience. Uh, so um, they did it. Uh, now, the problem is, now that they've done it, now that they have ousted Netanyahu and formed this government, they look at each other and they think, well, what do we agree on? Well, they agree that they ousted Netanyahu, and that was good. That's about it right now. <laughs> but they, they have to find something. Look, they, they could agree on a budget. We haven't had a budget in three years. They could agree on uh, security. Uh, Iran, bad, right? Okay, we got that down. Uh, they've got an election tomorrow in Iran. Uh, I'll tell you a secret. There are no good guys in that election. Um, and uh, they agree that on the Palestinian front, nothing's going to happen. You know, the right wing that wants to annex the biblical heartland of the Jewish people in Judea and Samaria, that the world calls the West Bank, they know they're not going to do it. And the people on the Israeli left in, that are part of the government who would like to give up some of that land to create a Palestinian state, they know they're not going to do it. And they know also that even if they wanted to, even if one of them was in power and they had the numbers to do it, they couldn't do it either because there's no partner on the Palestinian side right now because Mahmoud Abbas, Again, let's not get them confused. Um, he, uh, the leader of the Palestinians, is 86 years old. Um, he just canceled their election that was supposed to be earlier this month. He, is, he won his last election for president in January 2005. He is in his 17th year of a four-year term. And as long as he's in charge, nothing's going to happen on the Palestinian side anyway. And uh, it doesn't appear that Joe Biden wanted to make any... Uh, uh, deals right now either uh, because he's seen too many of his predecessors try and fail. Um, so they'll focus on the economy, they'll focus on security, um, they'll focus on the diplomacy that they agree on, reaching out to the world in a nice way. High tech, we all agree on that. High tech, good, car accidents, bad. Uh, that, that's what they'll agree on and that's what we'll have for however long it lasts. But the last thing I'm going to say before I open it up to uh, David's questions, David asked the best questions, is that Netanyahu, he's not going anywhere. Netanyahu is uh, still a young man. He's only uh, 71. His father died at the age of 102. And um, he uh, is still in power as the leader of the Israeli opposition. And he is still uh, the leader of the Likud. And he is still the leader of the Israeli right and its candidate for prime minister in the next election. And in part because he is still there. That is what gives this government stability. Because even if they don't agree on anything else, they agree that they don't like Netanyahu very much. And so uh, the glue that brought them together, which is Netanyahu, remains there. And uh, so we'll, we'll see if uh, the political correspondent of the Jerusalem Post can relax for a while without there being too much inter, uh, internal 
political stress or whether they'll just keep on fighting and the mess will go on. Uh, stay tuned to www.jpost.com and uh, or, feel, or Gil underscore Hoffman on Twitter. And uh, please keep me in mind if your country has not too much COVID-19 that, that I do speak around the world. Uh, Gil at jpost.com, G-I-L at jpost.com. Thank you very much, David. Thank you, Gil. It's great to, to have your analysis and, and uh, uh, your understanding of where we are. I tell you, Sunday, if you were just uh, looking in, didn't know uh, the Knesset that well or Israel so well, that parliament session before the vote was pretty fiery. A lot of you, have you ever seen it uh, that bad? I mean, it had to be a rank up there with one of the people getting kicked out because they're just shouting and shouting, interrupting. Uh, yes, it's, this is not Congress here. Uh, in Congress, they talk, they speak very politely. Mm -hmm. I yield the floor to the gentleman <laughs> from Idaho, they said. It's gotten well, a little nastier, but it, there used to be uh, fist fights on the floor of the House and Senate years ago, even duels. Okay, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I heard about the, the Hamilton, okay. Yeah, um, yeah. In uh, Britain, I know that they've thrown chairs at, at uh, their colleagues. Yes. Um, Italy, you see all these really violent things break out. Look, there was no violence, there was no physical. Keep in mind, David, Everything's relative here. People were expected there to be pitchforks and like Viking hats burning down the Knesset. Instead, you had a bunch of opposition members of Knesset whining yeah. loudly and yeah. stopping Bennett from speaking. Big deal. For most of them, though, this is a, this is a new experience, at least uh, for a long time, where they're in the opposition now. Um, can you uh, just drill down a little more how it is that Bennett, in this rotation deal with Lapide, he gets to go first? I, I think the argument was that the the right from right of center, uh, over seventy Knesset members, almost eighty Knesset members, would be considered right of center. Lieberman, Saar, with Likud, with the religious parties, all the way to the far right. But uh, and, uh, and so Bennett argued, you know, the overall makeup of the Knesset and the, the mandate from the people, they want right wing policies. Is that how he did it? Pretty much. Uh, look, it's a, I, I didn't study uh, too many marketing classes because uh, which is how I have uh, such a low paying job. But uh, <laughs> the uh, way it works, I'm told, is you've got supply and demand. And uh, so uh, they it was a big demand for a party that was politically neutral. Uh, right. They could go with either way. It could crown BB or it could crown Lapid. Mm -hmm. And uh, so Lapid was willing to pay uh, mm -hmm. for this, for uh, getting to be prime minister later. But also, David, um, the absence of Netanyahu was more important in Lapid's eyes than advancing himself. Mm -hmm. Think about that. Uh, mm -hmm. People were so sick and tired of the man. Lapid has had his own, you know, personal fights with him since he served in his government from 2013 to 2015, when uh, Netanyahu gave him the finance ministry job, which is a job that's so easy to fail at in any country, uh, in order to try to end his political career. Um, so it, he's the way that Lapid puts it. Um, he sacrificed 
his own good for the good of the country. One could argue that this is the only way he would become prime minister anyway, so maybe not so much. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he did the same thing a couple of elections ago when he deferred to Benny Gantz to, to uh, head the blue and white uh, alignment. And, uh, you know, in a way, that sort of humility, it, uh, you can get stepped on in Israeli politics, but also I think a lot of voters see that, that he's trying to work for the good of the country. Did Bennett, has he really burnt some bridges with some of his voters, Yamina? Uh, they, they didn't expect him to go into a government uh, with uh, uh, not so much maybe the Arab parties, but some of them like merits. Sure, uh, look, he made promises. He promised during the election he would not sit in the government in which Lapid would be prime minister. He would not sit in the government of the far left merits. He would not sit in the government that would rely in any way on the Ram uh, party under Mansour Abbas, who he referred to as a terror supporter. And he took that all back. And, and ladies and gentlemen, there is a time to burn bridges. Burn, if you're going to burn bridges, do it on the way to the top. Mm -hmm. Do it when you can really, really uh, get the... Um, the, when you can really, really uh, get the top job you've wanted your entire life. Don't burn bridges uh, to get uh, a stepping stone because then you're never going to be able to climb up to the top. Mm -hmm. But uh, you can burn bridges to get the job. Mm -hmm. His explanation was that he, he just decided that uh, he needed to get Israel out of this political impasse and deadlock and and the change government, the change route uh, was more comfortable to him than, than going with Netanyahu. No way. He couldn't trust Netanyahu. Yeah. Uh, um, look, he lost his political base. He gave up all of it. Uh, his voters now would be almost no one. Mm -hmm. um, so, um, so he's got to stay in power. If there's a new election soon, they topple it and we go to a fifth election. He's not going to do so well. But He's got a chance now to look prime ministerial. That's true. And theoretically, if he would look prime ministerial, then maybe they would reelect him then. Or you know what, David? Uh, you mentioned his, his exits, his high-tech exits. So um, he got to the peak. Go enjoy being rich and, and get to know your kids better and live the good life. Um, he might very well even do that in two years. And I'll tell you why two years, okay? August 27th, 2023 is your uh, changeover to Lapid coming to power. Well, he could keep his promise. There's various um, safeguards to make sure that the rotation happens. But what the, the safeguards are is that he wouldn't be able to run again. Mm -hmm. Well, why not already do it that you won't be able to run again? Fine, leave politics leave Ayala Chiquette in charge of the party. Uh, if Netanyahu has been forced out of, as leader of Likud by then, which would only really happen if his criminal trial advances significantly, uh, it's plenty of time for that, two years, um, then you can have a situation where the right-wing members of Knesset say, we want the new leader of Likud uh, to become uh, prime minister. And... Uh, whatever's left of Yamina will go with that. Um, 80 right-wing members of Knesset who would depose Lapid and prevent him from coming to power uh, under the leadership of, let's say, Nir Barkat, 
the former mayor of Jerusalem, who is a Likud Knesset member, or, uh, or uh, Yuli Edelstein, uh, who is the number two to Netanyahu in Likud. Yeah, and Gilad Erdan, who's sort of been sidelined by, sent to the U.S. and U.N. as Israel's ambassador. There's also this new Yossi Cohen, the uh, outgoing head uh, of yeah, uh, Mossad, who has uh, the fir first polls. He, I guess he's got a cooling off period like the generals, but I understand he may join Likud and he's already polling very strongly. But uh, Barkat is a, he's another high tech uh, wizard who made a lot of money with cybersecurity and now in politics. And uh, I tell you that video of him taking down the, the, the Arab guy with the knife trying to stab someone, that is, uh, I'll always <laughs> remember that. Um, but Bennett, uh, you know, I guess from his military service, elite units, commander of two separate elite units, uh, building and selling two startups uh, and making a lot of money, he's considered a risk taker. What kind of risk is he going to take? I mean, it's, it's one thing to join uh, um, Lapid and Yamina in this broad government, but uh, I mean, what, what is his particular agenda? Does, what does he want to accomplish? What does Bennett want to accomplish? That is a great question, and I'm waiting to find it out. Um, <laughs> look, uh, he wanted to handle the government in a more professional way. He's a high-tech guy. He doesn't like the bureaucracy uh, that harms uh, businesses. Uh, he wants to uh, have the Israeli economy run more professionally. Uh, that's definitely part of his agenda. He has a, a strong security agenda. He said that any balloon, uh, incendiary balloon fired from Gaza needs to be treated like a rocket, which needs to be treated like a missile. So, um, and that's what he has been doing this last couple days. So he would take a, a tougher uh, stance against Hamas than Bibi did. Mm. Um, that's definitely part of his agenda. Um, he's not going to be involved in foreign affairs too much because that's part of the deal with Lapid. Lapid's going to handle that and because Bennett kind of agrees secretly with Lapid's agenda of uh, fixing things with the progressive community around the world. We, there's this feeling that Netanyahu focused a lot on the easy support from Christian evangelicals and Orthodox Jews mm -hmm. and that that was taking the easy way out in politics. Lapid wants to take up the challenge of fixing things with left-wing people around the world, uh, making more of an effort that, that Netanyahu didn't. Uh, it's not easy, but it could be essential for Israel's future. Um, and so uh, Bennett's going to let Lapid do that. Um, and he, he's a better person to do it than someone right-wing like him. Mm -hmm. And this has a lot to do with repairing uh, relations between Israeli Jews and diaspora Jews, which in Israel, uh, the ultra-Orthodox or Orthodox, traditional modern Orthodox, uh, are the, they have the majority and really set the policies and rules here. Whereas, say, in the U.S., the progressives, there's more conservative and reformed Jews, and they sort of feel out of place and rejected uh, by Israeli leaders. This is what he's working on. Absolutely. And the Democratic Party itself, let's yeah. call a spade a spade. Uh, Netanyahu went to Congress to stop Barack Obama's dangerous Iran deal. 
and uh, lost the support of a lot of Democrats that way. And without Netanyahu there, you can have a healing process with the Democratic Party, which is extremely important for Israel's future because of the bipartisan nature of Israeli politics, of, uh, of its relationship with the United States is the top strategic asset that Israel has had. And so when I speak in America, you know, I speak for the college Republicans and the college Democrats together sponsoring the events. And that's the way it used to be, that, that Israel mm -hmm. was the ultimate bipartisan issue. Well, if you let the, if you align Israel entirely with the Republican Party, which is what Netanyahu was accused of doing, you're losing half of America. Mm -hmm. uh, and we can't afford to lose half of America. Yeah, I know there, there are some playing politics with uh, the Christian support now that it's waning among youth. I, I don't trust that newest poll that's come out uh, in how they define even young evangelicals because it said uh, uh, there were more of, of these young evangelicals registered as Democrats than Republicans. But uh, at the same time, we can't forget uh, there was a recent poll that showed that support for Israel among American Democrats had fallen below 50 percent. Wow. For the first time in a long time. And that, that's worse. I, I lobbied for Israel in Congress in the 90s. And I remember, you know, how important it is to build bipartisan support for anything uh, and not, you know, make Israel a political football. There's a lot of work to do there. And maybe this, uh, you know, you've got... Um, Lapidus foreign minister, um, you, you have uh, Nachman Shai as like uh, the diaspora affairs, he's from the left. You have a new guy, uh, you've got someone who can come in from uh, head of the Jewish agency that mo some of the candidates are from the left. And even uh, Isaac Herzog, the, the new president, who really is very good at, at working on these issues. He, uh, he grew up, uh, you know, his grandfather was chief rabbi of Israel. He has a religious side to him, but uh, also was on the left side of Israeli Absolutely. politics. So they'll all be working on improving relations with the Democratic Party and with the uh, progressive American Jews, who are the most secular people in the United States, according to the polls. Yeah. And um, also uh, the uh, chairman of the... Knesset uh, Diaspora Affairs Committee uh, is uh, a Yair Golan from Meretz, mm. so even more so to the left. Okay. Um, while we're talking on this subject, uh, there was this matter of uh, a well-known uh, Christian figure who uh, was trying to uh, very vocally and in not the nicest language, trying to... Uh, um, coax or goad some of the uh, Yamina and other uh, MKs on the right not to join Le uh, Bennett in this uh, right-wing government to stick with Bibi. And it raises the question of uh, Christian support and, and, and how much can Christians interfere in Israeli politics. And I think this, you know, really touches on an even bigger subject uh, Gil, which is is all the outside interference, whether it's diaspora Jews or uh, the UN or the EU or uh, the US government, all dictating to Israel what to do, all kinds of funding from outside the country coming into politics. Are we, is this going to get fixed here? And how do Israelis 
uh, react to that, respond to outside interference in their in their political affairs. We don't like it. <laughs> yeah. We like to govern uh, by ourselves and not have too many people tell us what to do. Um, we like to have uh, friends, and friends don't tell friends uh, um, what to do. Um, I hope that they'll have more alliances and fewer uh, demanding kinds of friends um, from either side. Uh, so yes, there were there was definitely controversy with uh, um, a Christian leader who told uh, the people of Israel that they were making a mistake. That's his opinion. Uh, mm -hmm. I don't think he represents the evangelical community in any way. Uh, I know that you bless Israel because God said to bless Israel. It doesn't mm -hmm. matter who's in power over here. And that's the beauty of our relationship. It's mm -hmm. a relationship of respect. Mm -hmm. um, and I know that relationship of respect will, will only deepen. Yeah, the, the International Christian Embassy has been here in Jerusalem for 40 years. And even though we have our own opinions, we have our own favorites or preferences along the way, we really have to stay out of Israeli politics. And I think part of it is a, just trying to hold to a principle that people need to respect Israeli democracy, whether it's left, right, center, whoever, other foreign governments. And there's so much outside interference and whatever. And we don't, you know, I'm an American. I don't want people outside money pouring in to support one or another candidate from foreign governments or whatever, China, Russia, interfering in our elections like has really come to the fore, that old question. And uh, I think Israelis resent it. That's my experience, no matter where it, it comes from. Um, we've got some questions here about, uh, you know, the, the recent riots during the Gaza rocket war in May. There were these really uh, horrible and hard to watch Arab Jewish riots in some of the major cities, especially Mexico, Jaffa, uh, a little in Haifa, uh, Lod, uh, and different places. Is this government going to be able to, to help uh, patch some of that up fairly quickly? How's that going? Um, they're going to try. Um, it, what those riots indicated was that uh, when people live together, they need to deal with what they differ on and not just um, say, okay, let, let's uh, keep that under the rug because eventually we'll come out. Um, and so there were riots in, in five different mixed cities across the country. Um, it was a test. It was a test uh, that happened before the government was formed. If it hadn't happened, people would say, well, how would Mansour Abbas handle if Israel went to war? Mm -hmm. uh, would he side with our enemies? And lo, lo and behold, he went to war before the government was formed, and he didn't side with our enemies. And he even went to Lod, uh, to one of the mixed cities. He went there with a Likud mayor to a synagogue that had been vandalized by Arab hoodlums. And he said, uh, I will rebuild this synagogue. Hmm. That's, yeah, that's, I, I've seen him make statements and do some things that are quite surprising, but this is, this is the impact of the Abraham Accords, which you, you gave uh, Trump uh, good credit, and, and I think Netanyahu 
looked the way he went to Washington and defied President Obama a few years ago on the rain nuclear issue, speaking in Congress against it. I think a lot of these Arab countries in the Gulf, especially, they felt he was there speaking for them and, and had their back. And that's part of why they came in. Um, what, uh, what do you think are some of the, the issues that could, could really rattle this new coalition? I know the one Arab MK, he d abstained in the vote on Sunday because of uh, the, this uh, part of the coalition deal was uh, demolishing illegal homes in the Negev, which a lot of Arab Bedouins are building. What yep, other issues are... Yeah. Uh, they, they can indeed uh, fight over the Bedouin issue where uh, the, uh, one, uh, one of the power bases of the Ram party is among Bedouins in the Negev. Uh, and um, if you demolish houses there rather than recognize villages that really encroached on, maybe even stole land, uh, then uh, they won't vote with you. And it's a, it's a, when you have one vote majority, anything can happen. Uh, right now they're, they're debating uh, an ordinance that is extended every year that prevents uh, Palestinians from marrying Israeli Arab citizens and moving into the country, which was used uh, to get hundreds and thousands of, of Palestinians into the country, terrorists in, included. And that was stopped by the Supreme Court 20 years ago, but they've had to keep on renewing the ordinance. Well, if Mansour Abbas doesn't support you, you don't have a majority, you can't rely on the Likud who says, we're not helping you on anything, even if we mm -hmm. have to believe in it. Mm -hmm. So that, uh, that's another fight. And um, that, why That's a, a back day, back, uh, backdoor right of return. Uh, intermittent. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. And, and uh, watch how they try to pass a budget. That's going to be a challenge. What's the first bill they're going to pass? They're going to pass a bill to uh, extend how long they need to get to pass the budget without the government falling apart. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. And, and uh, what do you think uh, Netanyahu sees as the weak point? How would he prefer to bring this government down? What, what sort of issue do you think? Anything. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I, he... He's going to do everything he can to bring it down as fast as he can, yeah. uh, exploit any weakness that there is. Yeah. And uh, this whole thing of Bennett in a party with the, with the Arabs in a coalition with the Arabs, it was actually Netanyahu who sort of broached this and actually made, uh, can you confirm, he was actually making be even better promises to, to uh, Ra'am and, and yes. Mansour Abbas. He wanted to form a government with Ra'am. He needed them and his Smothridge the religious Zionist party in the far right prevented yeah. So he, he legitimized it. And uh, there's a lot, a lot in Likud who say it was the, it was the far right who are, are to blame for the, the right not being in power now. Indeed. Okay. Um, uh, any, anything else, uh, you know, I'm not going to ask you to, um, uh, you know, forecast and predict. You're not, you, you know, I know you're going to say you're not a prophet, but, uh, you know, <laughs> how long is this government going to last, Gil? <laughs> I would say a couple of years. Next um, wow. Yeah, look, we need to repair the, 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 the mess from before. We need to have a period mm -hmm. of healing here. We had a, a pandemic, a war in Gaza. Uh, uh, whether you like him or not, I'm not giving a political opinion here in any way, but a leader who's unquestionably divisive in Netanyahu. And after you have a divisive leader, you need to have a time to heal. So mm -hmm. uh, that's going to happen for, I think, a, a couple of years. 
and it'll show the strength of Israeli democracy again, because it was humiliating that we went to four elections. We looked terrible around the world. Well, now maybe we can look a little better again. But that, that means that for the next couple of years, we're going to see at least one or two uh, uh, votes of no confidence uh, in the Knesset, and all the MKs from the government have to show up, and everyone's got to be there for every vote because yeah. the margin is so narrow. And Yep, you cannot invite members of Knesset to speak around the world. They will not come. They have to stay and vote. And, uh, yeah, there's this gentleman's rule of pairing that if, if one's going to be absent and another, you just pair them off. And, but that's, not, that's no longer the case. Correct. Uh, Sharon Haskell is a brilliant member of Knesset who has the Knesset Christian Allies Caucus. Yes. Um, and uh, she would love to go speak and defend Israel around the world. Uh, but she would have to pair off with somebody from the opposition. They're not willing to do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Anything else uh, as, as we go here? Um, I know personally, Gil, I've watched these four elections as a polling station right across the street from my home. And I've watched Israelis. I always go out and just uh, talk to a few people and, and, and watch them get in line and vote. And I think this has been befuddling and really frustrating for Israelis and, and somewhat mystifying that all these elections have been so close, so close, so close. And, and, the, and this one, the impasse is still, a, still really not over, that, that it's one or two seats, one or two votes in the Knesset. That's what we're in. One MK could get, you know, a, a Volvo and a driver to be a deputy minister in the new Likud-led government or whatever, and, and there it goes. And, uh, but, uh, you know, I think we uh, Christians need to be praying that there'll be a stable um, and successful government here, no matter who is heading it, no matter how much we love and respect Netanyahu. I think that's a whole nother webinar uh, that will uh, have put some people together to talk about the, his legacy so far, which we Amen. really need to honor. But I, I see that a lot of Israeli people, and you'd have to say maybe the majority, uh, are ready to move on and let this younger generation uh, govern now. It's a, a busy time for you covering it all, but uh, you do it so well. And thanks for all the explanations. Thank you. My pleasure. I appreciate your uh, request to these wonderful 71 people to pray for we, uh, stability. We have people on, uh, on uh, Facebook Live and we have people on YouTube also watching. We have a group of Hebrew youth students, about 30 of them in our, in our uh, assembly hall right now. They're watching us live. So you're, you're you know, impressing young and they're mainly Jewish students here Got in it. their minds. They're watching. Okay. And then it'll play all weekend and we'll get thousands of viewers. We get a lot of viewers uh, as we uh, Thank you to it. all of you for being a part of us. Thank you. It's bye uh, bye. always great to have you and, and your time. And God bless to Mayan and, and all the kids. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. Shalom. Okay, it's uh, great to have Gil Hoffman again. Uh, he stays very busy following Israeli politics. It's been a very busy week starting out on Sunday with the vote in the Knesset, and at least the government has survived this first week in office. 
and we'll have to keep monitoring it. But hopefully, you know, nothing too stirring or whatever that we got to come and, and uh, bring Gil back and say, what's going on here one more time? But uh, always great insights from him. And he does very well speaking before church groups around the world. I think he has now spoken in all 50 U.S. states and uh, all our Christian friends in Europe, some of these other countries and continents, you need to have him. He's very good and very entertaining. And uh, I don't think he missed his calling, but it was close that he could have been a real stand-up comic. So thanks to Gil Hoffman. Thank you for joining us here on this week's ICEJ weekly webinar. Uh, next week, uh, we have our global prayer on Wednesday, and uh, we'll uh, get the word out on what next, next week's webinar is all about. Just want to encourage you to sign our petition to the ICC, the International Criminal Court, that they drop their war crimes probe against Israel. That is at on.icej.org slash ICC petition. Please sign that. And also remind you the Feast of Tabernacles is coming up this fall. You want to be part of the uh, join us online uh, with all the streaming video on demand uh, for months uh, after you can watch it whenever you want. But join us at the Feast of Tabernacles. And uh, thank you again for joining us today on the ICJ webinar. God bless you.